Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, November 22nd episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. With me today is Jay Mercado, with whom I will be discussing his bridge poem, and my poem, At Least He Inspires Me to Write. Before we turn to that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of November 23rd. On Monday, November 23rd, from 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information and register at labyrinthamsterdam.nl. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl. From 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. From 8 to 11 p.m. Mountain Time, the Barb Wired Open Mic Series will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information and register at bwoms.com. That's B-W-O-M-S.com. Again, that's B-W-O-M-S.com. On Tuesday, November 24th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic series for those between the ages of 13 and 23. This is a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their Veterans Writing Circle with Marco Pina, and you can find out more information and register at piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. Again, that's piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. On Wednesday, November 25th, from 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their weekly online open mic. You can find out more information by going to sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or checking them out on Facebook. Again, that's at sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's at a poet named Superman. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Mighty Mike McGee will be hosting his nine new poems and three old ones, an evening with Mighty Mike McGee. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 278 476 Six two three five one seven nine six four four. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash two seven eight four seven six six two three five one seven nine six four four. On Thursday, November twenty sixth, from seven p.m. London time, the Poetry Translation Center will be hosting their insert name here, Polylingual Open Mic, emceed by Yomi Salt. 
the performers will be poets between the ages of 16 and 26, and the audience will get to vote on their performance. You can find out more information and register at poetrytranslation.org forward slash events. Again, that's poetrytranslation.org forward slash events. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, November 27th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information and register at Poetry LGBT on Instagram or on Facebook. Again, that's at Poetry LGBT on Instagram and Facebook. From 6.30 p.m. Arizona time, Mass Liberation Arizona will be hosting their You Are What You Eat Black Friday fundraiser. You can find out more information and register at MassLibAZ. That's M-A-S-S-L-I-B-A-Z. Again, that's M-A-S-S-L-I-B-A-Z. From 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 Poetry with 10,000 spelled out. From 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poet Society will be hosting their new author showcase featuring Bridget Bianca, Paul Vangelisti, and James Coates. You can find out more information and register at lapoetsociety.org. Again, that's lapoetsociety.org. On Saturday, November 28th, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, New Women's Space will be hosting their open mic night, and you can find out more information and register at newwomenspace.com forward slash events. Again, that's newwomenspace.com forward slash events. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Sunday, November 29th, from 5 to 7 p.m. British Time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information and register at Poetry LGBT on either Instagram or Facebook. From 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Pure Ink Poetry with our past poet guest, Brandon Williamson, will be hosting their video slam. You can find out more information and register at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's pureinkpoetry.com. From 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poet Society will be hosting their 11th birthday celebration and reading and you can, again, find out more information at lapoetsociety.org. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Jay Mikado. Hi, Jay. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you so much for having me. Me too. You brought with you your poem, Bridge Poem. Before we get into that, I would really appreciate it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'd be happy to. So hello, my name is Jay Mercado. Uh, I am a multidisciplinary artist, currently residing in Flagstaff, Arizona. I recently graduated from the Institute of American Indian Art uh, with my creative writing MFA mm-hmm. um, in poetry. I'm also a recording artist. I'm working on my second album of recorded music currently, and it's entitled Dysphoria. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm so sorry I didn't get to hear you play the other day. I, like, missed that. Oh, yes. 
finale event that you're referring to, it's actually uh, uploaded on YouTube, so I, I, I can send you the link to it after, after our call. Um, yes, yes, please do. I would love to see it. In coordinating that reading series, you know, we had people in attendance from Alaska, we had people on the East Coast, so yeah, it spans like a four to five hour range of times. You guys basically had already finished your courses and went home, right? You were just going to come back for the graduation. Have we not had COVID visit the country? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by the time we kind of worked up the idea to start this, uh, what we call the Thunderbird Reading Series, mm-hmm. it was really, I suppose, a, a replacement or like a just a way for us all to kind of have that graduation residency experience that we missed out on because of just the implications of the world that we're in currently. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think, you know, IAIA is one of the better schools where there's, you know, they're not making you go in and take your chances. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) At the end of the day, very thankful for it. Um, Our graduating class specifically is like a very enthusiastic about our um, we have a tradition of doing karaoke together so I'm sure that that's the thing that all of us really missed out on as far as not being able to spend our time in person together but otherwise yeah I'm sure everyone's just really thankful we were able to do things uh, in a distant and safer way yeah yeah well you could do karaoke online there's going to be a little bit of a delay but it's still doable because I've uh, actually done one of those open mics. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You're, you'll, have, you'll have to share um, your performance tips and tricks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I only did one, so I don't think I have any tips and tricks for you. <laughs> um, so going back... I'm sure you have something to offer. Oh, I could just say there's going to be time delays basically. And and I think there are definitely other people who has been going to a lot of online Zoom karaoke's who have some really good tricks up their sleeves. I do plan to go back if I ever find the time and just, because it's fun. It's just wacky. And with the time delay, it's even wackier. So going back to your poetry, can you tell us a little bit about how you started with poetry? Okay, so the first memory of poetry that's coming to me is I was maybe nine or ten years old, mm. and I just had a really solid crush on this girl in my grade, and I wrote her. Uh, well, I, at the time, I did not understand poetry very much at all, but today, now what I understand to be like an acrostic poem, like I wrote a poem for each, like a, a line for each letter in her name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so so I wrote her an acrostic poem. She showed all her friends, and they all had a laugh about it so that was like my that was my entrance into poetry just like nobody will take you seriously um, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I would say that what was really significant for me was I had always done poetry as like performance art I had been given capacity to do so when I was like a teenager mm-hmm. just in my community like I had been given space to perform poems a few times a year and I really only spent the time writing poems for those specific events. And it wasn't really until a few years ago, truthfully, where I was going through a season of really immense grief and Mm -hmm. learning to kind of let go of, uh, I don't, yeah, it was just a period of like letting go and embracing like a new, a new normal, I suppose. So I turned to poetry in that season. I wrote, at least one poem, if not several poems, every day from October to February the next year. So four months of just it's like really using the, the art form as like a cathartic experience. And then mm. later that year is when I decided to do the MFA uh, at the Institute. So, mm. yeah, I would say that was kind of my entryway. And then the Institute, obviously, like studying poetry the MFA was like this completely eye-opening sort of awakening experience. Right, right. I was wondering, what did you study 
and for undergrad? For a few years, I studied uh, secondary music education. Mm. Eventually, I realized that that wasn't quite where I was hoping to land, and so I I switched up to a bachelor of music with a minor in anthropology, and I was one class away from also minoring in Chinese studies. So oh, cool. I got really close. Wow. So are you like fluent? Or actually, did it involve having to learn the language? Oh, no, I'm not all fluent. But yeah, I did have to learn uh, Chinese language both uh, orally and like being able to, to write it as well. Okay. I'm just really rusty now. That was a few years ago. Wow. But, uh, wow. Did you get to study abroad for that? Oh, no. I, <laughs> I think during my undergrad, I was like much too shy and much too like performance avoidant to think that I would be chosen for something like that. So... Yeah, I, I had thought about it, I suppose, but I think, truthfully, just the way that my undergrad sort of worked out, where I decided three-fourths of the way through to switch up and to take on a minor, I just kind of ran out of time, so to speak. Right, right. But you could just go back and take those requisites, right? I mean, can you still? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I could go back and just take another a Chinese studies. This, it would be more like Chinese culture or like Chinese um, history. Mm-hmm. I think I completed the language portion, so I think it would more just be kind of practicing conversationally and like learning more about the culture. Right, right. I'm just asking because you know it just feels like such a shame to miss out that minor by this much, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just a single class would have done it. Yeah, that's it's kind of it's in the back of my mind. I feel like I have a lot of things that I pay a lot of attention to and things that I'm interested in. feels like a new thing every day. So maybe we'll circle back to that okay. soon. Okay. So that'd be really cool. Right. Well, I'm, I'm curious because, yeah, you know, it's not like there are many Asian people, period, in Arizona. What made you decide to do a Chinese studies minor? Yeah. So interestingly enough, my hometown, Casa Grande, Arizona, is <laughs> Shout it out, the big house. Um, <laughs> uh, my plan was to go back to teach music in the school where I had like fallen in love with music. Um, as far as far as like a choral music mm-hmm. sense, as, as far as that's concerned. And so I already have a, a decent amount of exposure to the Spanish language mm-hmm. just growing up with Latino parents mm-hmm. and, you know, living in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. And so there was actually talks of an influx of Chinese migrants in my town because they were opening some sort of, like, global distribution center. And so there were talks of a large community of Chinese people, like, emigrating to America to, like, live in, in my town. And so I thought that Chinese students would be, you know, Mandarin would probably be the third most commonly spoken language in any of my classrooms and so I just wanted to be well versed I wanted to be able to meet kids where they were at not necessarily assuming they didn't know English but just wanting to bridge some of that gap because language to me is so important and so that was the hope was that I would be able to also teach students with a, a, a background like coming from China right right okay that makes sense yeah, because <laughs> having lived in Arizona, or at least in Phoenix, I know that the Asian population is quite tiny. So I, I was kind of surprised when you said that. Going back to the poetry again, because we keep getting sidetracked. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Oh, that's um, fine. I guess this would be a good time for you to read your poem for us. I would love to. Bridge poem. They tore down that bridge outside the library where we took photos and a glance at the lungs of the world. Burning, I held a hummingbird in my palm, a restless pulse of wings, a race against flesh. In a poverty of spirit, the heart becomes another mouth to feed its rows of pearl knives gnash against my rib bones its prison its home 
A chest cavity is no place for burnt lungs or bird, for teeth. Now it courses blood and blade as a cage for what is known and then is gone. Thank you. Really love the imagery that you have here. And one of the things that made me wonder is like, where is this lungs of the world? Ah, uh, yeah. I can divulge the information yes. exclusively for the first time to the world <laughs> if you like. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I wrote this poem, I'd say maybe a year and a half ago. Okay. If I can clock, clock the timeline of it right. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, there was a fire in the Amazon. Oh. In the rainforest, right. I believe. I'm trying to go back in my mind. That's the connection I was making, though. The lungs of the world. Was, it's like thinking of it being the place that is the most populous, like most densely forested. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for there to be a fire there, you know, the line is taking a glance at the lungs of the world. And then if you go into the next stanza, burning. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I just, I was writing this after looking at like a news story about a fire uh, in Brazil, I'm assuming. Hmm. I can't believe that's a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like ridiculously long ago, like ages ago, and it also feels like last week, you know? Yeah, the yeah. Time, the time is just stretching and collapsing on itself constantly. That's the feeling I, I get from it. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel the same because... I I remember looking up this information because there were a bunch of news that were talking about how it's the lungs of the world and people, uh, celebrities were making a huge deal out of that. Not that it's not a big deal, it's just that there were some fact-checking articles about how there are other pieces of forested areas. I, I can't say it without completely just butchering what people were trying to say, but... It was an interesting fact-checking article that I was reading. Let's just say that. So is this the impetus for you to write this particular poem, or was it something else? I think that line specifically, thinking about that moment, mm-hmm. it's sort of like a time capsule, if you will, that I've kind of buried under the surface of the poem. Right. Because, you know, truthfully, it's about my relationship with like another person. Right. And so kind of the timestamp on it is like, where I was in that moment, taking a mental sort of photograph of this location that made me think about them and then what was going on in the world at the time. Mm, okay. So if you don't mind divulging further about what um, led you to write this poem. Yeah, let's pull it apart a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think this poem really started with a couple of specific images. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, let's see, stanza five, Mm -hmm. um, the chest cavity being like a birdcage, being kind of looking at the ribs as kind of the stereotypical thing that we picture when we think of a birdcage, like this dome, Mm -hmm. kind of egg-shaped with the the bar. Yeah, yeah. So I had that mental image of like a bird inside of the chest cavity of a person. And then I think I was just kind of hinging on on this line in stanza, I guess that, that was stanza four that I was just talking about, so stanza three, in a poverty of spirit. Mm-hmm. That line specifically was just kind of hanging around for me for a few weeks before I really wrote this poem. The poverty of spirit line? Yeah, so in a poverty of spirit, the heart becomes another mouth. Mm-hmm. I had been thinking about the line and just kind of living with it for a little while, and then this day came, I was in the downtown area in Flagstaff, mm-hmm. and just kind of noticed this bridge outside of the library had been like deconstructed mm-hmm. and I've like shot a music video on that bridge I've hung out near that bridge with this significant person and just kind of noticed the absence mm-hmm. and then I think ultimately that's like perhaps what the poem is trying to do it's acknowledging an absence mm-hmm. of another person of a feeling of a something that was significant that is part of your landscape so suddenly just kind of being plucked out so I think those things just all kind of collided in that moment Right, right. Yeah, I, I love that line, the in, in a poverty of spirit, the heart becomes another mouth to feed. Do you remember the origins of that particular line as well? 
I'm I'm remembering myself walking around at like a Michael's craft store. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with that at all. Maybe somebody listening will be. Yes. But it's just like a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I was trying to get into probably painting at the time or something like that. So I don't know the, the imagery. It has that association with it. I remember being in that Michael's and just kind of looking for whatever it might be. But other than that, I can't really place where it, its origins truly lie. Hmm. That's interesting how this particular line came to you in Michael's. <laughs> I feel like there's some kind of social commentary about Michael's. <laughs> it just shows that uh, inspiration is living in the most remote places, <laughs> um, and it's our job to just kind of glimpse those things as we're living on our day-to-day lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I've actually been to Michael's only once. I think. I, I mean, I love it. I'm afraid to go to it because I think I'll probably just spend all my money there. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, I I totally resonate with that. <laughs> Um, I just I love like a good pen. I love like a good marker. You know, mm. so they just you know they have abundance of those types of things. Just like can't get enough. Yeah, yeah, it really does get your creative juices flowing. You're like, oh, I could do this with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Most recently, I bought like black canvas from there. Uh-huh. That, that was revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cool. Do you draw with pastel? Oh no! Uh, every once in a while, I'll dabble in paint like acrylics. Yeah, nothing advanced. Okay. So back to your poem. When you mentioned the the chest ca- cavity having this image of being a birdcage, I've actually seen that as a sketch oh. somewhere online. I don't know where. I feel like it's a New Yorker cartoon or something. I'm probably misremembering it, <laughs> but. I love that. Maybe it's something I just saw in passing and kind of internalized and then just kind of recycled later in life. I don't, I, you know, that's the beauty of like inspiration. It's just kind of there to be taken in, even even places you might, might not expect. If yeah. it was a cartoon, it's very likely that I saw it and internalized it because I'm quite a big fan. Yeah. Of this genre. Yeah. And also Michael's, of course. I mean, after writing this amazing line from going to Michael's, if I were you, I would be hanging out there all the time. <laughs> yeah, just really like taking uh, drawing from the well, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about this line? Like, what does it mean to you, for instance? I think where the interest in the line is for me um, mm-hmm. is sort of in again, the acknowledgement of what a chest cavity is for. I think when I'm writing this poem, what I'm implying is what actually belongs there is like the heart. Mm-hmm. And so for there to be burnt lungs, it's not so much lungs. Like, yeah, lungs kind of belong in the chest cavity, essentially. I'm not really into anatomy, so maybe somebody out there will like <laughs> check me on this. But, when you know, I'm thinking about that area of the body and thinking about the lungs. It's not so much just the lungs, but like the burns. Mm-hmm. It's this bird image that comes earlier on in the poem. Mm. You know, it's not a place where things should be trapped. It's a place where things can kind of thrive. And I think the full stop on the period after bird and then going into 14, I know people can't really see this poem, but it's for burnt lungs or bird, period. 14, period. Mm. Like, I wanted that emphasis on 14 because there's supposed to be like a, a softness, a fleshiness there. Mm-hmm. And instead, the, the, the stanza before it is talking about the rows of knives, talking about like teeth, talking about a gnawing feeling in this very sensitive, really just vulnerable area of the body. So, so for me, it's, it's really driving home that feeling of absence and thinking about this season of life that I was in and this person that I'm kind of thinking of as I'm writing this poem. It's sort of a letter to them in a way, mm-hmm. like a farewell letter in a way. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, just thinking about like all the things that have been placed in the stead of the heart. Mm-hmm. This. So I think for me, it's just really kind of nostalgic to read it now because I, I'm thinking about this time in my life. It does have those kind of time capsule moments embedded in it. And the feeling is still familiar, but it's distant all at the same time. Right. And so it's sort of that familiar yet somewhat distant sort of ache. Mm-hmm. 
that's like the feeling that it's it's producing. Do you find that when you write poetry, uh, especially because of these feelings that drive you to write, that in the exercise of writing the poem, it's almost like exercising the feeling? Oh, definitely. I do a lot of internal work. I spend a lot of time thinking deeply about, especially my feelings, and kind of coming to a place of understanding or, on a good day, resolution with them. Mm-hmm. coming to some kind of agreement about what we're going to do and how we're going to operate. Yeah. But uh, I think there's a, a necessary component to my being of expression. And it's not simply enough to have the feeling. I think these creative means through which I'm expressing myself are really often are these little paintings or little photographs of different moments in my life or just, just a, a means to kind of capture a feeling. Because, you know, they're all unique like you know they're colored differently based on experience or mm-hmm. what the weather is like on a certain day or you know they're, they're colored differently all of them right and so yeah. i'm thankful for the means to just kind of depict them in their sort of natural state right well i was wondering how you feel about the burned lungs of the world how it's tied into this idea of heart becoming a mouth to feed that's a great question. I feel like that's what people say before they admit to being totally stumped by a question. Um, <laughs> I think here, when I'm thinking real, realistically, not just not this image as it occurs in the poem, but moving beyond the text and into the motivation. When I, mm-hmm. I think about there being a fire in this, what I view as really sacred and beautiful area of the world, and mm-hmm. I feel like in my limited scope in America, we're only scratching the surface as far as like the, the devastation that happened in South America, in Brazil, in the rainforest. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is, a, in a sense of poverty, just of my limited scope. But what I do understand is that the place is sacred. It is watched over by indigenous people who have mm-hmm. been living there since time immemorial. And so there is a poverty in the sense that when I'm looking in that mirror of indigeneity both like embodied but also like fractured mm-hmm. I think about my own sacred I think about my own lungs what are the lungs what's keeping my personal culture as an indigenous person sort of breathing mm-hmm. what is my disconnect from it how is it burning and mm-hmm. so I think it really is just kind of all weighing on the heart I definitely would consider myself a hempid and so thinking about those things and being able to draw that connection between myself and between the indigenous people of Brazil is really important. I talk a lot about capital I indigenous. Mm -hmm. So belonging to like a global community of indigenous people Mm -hmm. is something that I am so passionate about. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that kind of packed in here in this sort of still frame. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. There is definitely a sense of hunger in the way that the rainforest is being logged, being invaded into, especially under the current President Bolsonaro, who is very much on the side of business logging, logging companies, and I think industrial farmers as well, I think. It's been a while. That definitely doesn't really take into account of how incredibly important both as a national treasure and also as like having an actual utility outside of beauty, outside of preserving many different species, a utility towards the longevity of our own species. So it's really interesting to see that come through in you know when, when you talk about it in this poem which I think for people who are just reading it on their own would think of as more of um something to do with uh, yearning with uh, you know like a love poem. Yeah. I think that's what I I'm just really thankful for the art form in this the micro and the macro that you can reflect that sort of burning internally with 
you know, reflected over the axis with, you know, this much larger, like, you know, the, those, those things that times feel equally weighted, you know, when you're in the thick of loss and grief, that burning, you know, feels implicated with this massive scale, like deforestation, and, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I was present when the poem wanted to speak. I think that's all I can really say, and I'm just really grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful poem. I wonder if you don't mind for your own indigenous identity or for indigenous nations in the Southwest, what does hummingbird mean or signify? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I will say the triggering subject, the the thing that was resonating with me, the person that, that led me to kind of include it in the in the poem. A really good friend of mine sent me this beautiful picture of uh, an elder and his family mm-hmm. who just had a, a hummingbird very calmly in his palm. Mm-hmm. And I just like fell in love with this photograph. Mm-hmm. I need to track it down now that I'm thinking about it and see where I saved it. But mm-hmm. I know that, you know, several different, you know, indigenous groups or tribes in the Southwest like have an attachment, have like a, a place in their mythos for the hummingbird. Mm-hmm. I guess my. What I would say is my connection to it is growing up in Casa Grande, which is, you know, ancestral indigenous land of the Hohokam people. Mm-hmm. Um, the hummingbird was constantly a part of my landscape as a child in my family home. Mm-hmm. My father is, I would say, like a caretaker. <laughs> he has curated his home to be this place of refuge for animals that are passing through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, as a child, I was constantly seeing hummingbirds just right outside my kitchen window. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the strength, some of the, I think the vulnerability about the hummingbird is really what draws me. And just the, okay, I'm probably going to butcher these facts, but <laughs> based on the amount of energy they use from beating their wings, they have to eat or they have to like replenish or nourish themselves like every eight minutes, like, you know, in, like, like under 10 minutes, like they have to find constant sources of nourishment to like keep themselves in, in perpetual motion. And so I think the vulnerability draws me i'm like mm. how how like you know this natural thing is like has a subsistence strategy that's on like you know always on the clock and yet the how is when you unravel the how it's like oh it's like people like my dad who just recognize this truth and are you know not not saving the entire hummingbird populace or anything but you know we are creating <laughs> this this space for them you know where mm. the next meal that the next refuel that they need is happening, in, you know, and, and I think that's the way that things are just held in balance. I, I don't know. And that's just to try to like unravel the, the mystery of the world. And I'm just really thankful to have mm. like bore witness to that as a child. Mm-hmm. And that that sort of responsibility, not to you know save the world, but to just do your part in, right. in acknowledging the sacredness of the natural. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's all we can do, right? We can do our part because we're not all powerful beings. So we can't possibly even sometimes do as much as we want. We can just do whatever we can. And I think that speaks to the interconnectedness of all of us as well, is that if we all did, or many of majority of us did that, the world would become a better place as opposed to this philosophy of take everything for myself, Forget the rest of the people. Forget you and my posterity. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to see that. Yeah, I, I see the hummingbird in the Southwest as a, I see that image a lot. And I never had a chance to find out exactly what it means, especially in indigenous art. So I was yeah. wondering about that. So the heart of your poem, the line that got you started, is the line that made me think of my poem. Because it made me think of this idea of yearning, this somewhat of an obsessiveness. So so I picked my poem, at least he inspires me to write, which I'm going to read now, and then we can talk about it. It's not that the gentleman's charms are not obvious, but why am I still falling for strangers? 
knowing idols are better left unapproached, that egos grow thick under the constant stroke of admiration. But this wild heart forever young hasn't lost its hope and yearning, though I mistakenly thought it would callous with the lashings of experience. My mind grows weary of its duties of constant guardianship to shield this curious core testing every possibility for the occurrence of an anomaly. Thank you. So, thank, thank you so much for that, that reading. Thanks. Just hearing you read it, too, just really brings it off the page. It, it's almost like a, a monologue, in a way, just to kind of hear the way the, that you, or like the poet I in this mm-hmm. poem, is sort of thinking through the two sides of this kind of concern, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of this poem as kind of like this journalistic sort of approach to the inner workings. Mm. Um, that opening line is, is really like a, kind of like the tagline line of an opening chapter or, you know, it feels very journalistic. I, <laughs> I wrote that it kind of has some of that like Carrie Bradshaw feel, like some of that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. You know, like it's, it's kind of flirting with the self mm. with the, the balance between head and heart. And mm. yeah, it's contemplative, but also just kind of like curious and, kind of coy in that way I just yeah I really enjoyed it and then hearing you read it just kind of brought it to me thank you yeah definitely it's actually sorry (laughs) it's it's actually my first time reading it out loud wait maybe it's my second time I I forget because Uh, I I write a lot so I don't remember if I read this at an open mic or not uh, so for all intents and purposes, let's just call this the world premiere. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that works just fine. Um, no, it, yeah, that, thank you. Thank you again for reading. I think I would like to hear just some of the motivation, I guess, to write this particular poem, if it was like a specific instance or if it was kind of just a moment of clarity where you're thinking about the way that you're wired, the way that you kind of work through, sort through things. Yeah, I think I really like what you said about it, your observations about it, and I think you you got to the heart of it in in many ways. And This is a part of a series of poems about a crush that I have and and very confused about, as you can tell from this poem, because I'm just like, why? You know, like... Um, am I not too old for this? I don't get it. <laughs> so I am definitely trying to figure out why having an internal dialogue of, as you said, of trying to get to the crux of it and to understand my own motivations of why this is happening still. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't, you know, again, I'm just like, I'm so confused by it. But... Like, the title of it seems to be, like... I tend to write titles after I write the poem. So it seems like from the title that I basically have decided to rationalize it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is at times all we can do, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. You know, based on just what you're sharing, I think it's encapsulated really well in the poem, some of the sense of that confusion. You're kind of just laying laying it all out on the table and taking stock of it. Like, yes, on the one hand, I do feel a dutiful sense for the heart, but also there's kind of an unbridled nature to the whole thing. And then, you know, you just take a second to like kind of pick up these little gems and kind of look at them in the light. Mm-hmm. You know, the sum of all of these gems is like I don't know, be it attraction or like the what I love about this poem and. The connective tissue, I think, between your poem and mine is just we're both kind of just talking about the nature of the heart. Yeah. Sort of fragile, sort of vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Also, at times, takes on this form that is kind of like not, you know, like not a human heart. It becomes this other thing. It becomes something mechanical, you know, replaced by another object. So, yeah, I enjoy it. So, what I'm dying to know about is some of the weight 
for you personally. In the word duties, towards the end of the poem, it's talking about uh, my mind grows weary of its duties of constant guardianship. And so the question I think is, because the poem right before that talks about the lashings of experience also. Mm -hmm. So if you would, I'm curious, do you think that duty informs experience or do you think that experience informs duty? Oh, man. The hard questions. Uh, I wonder... My instinct tells me is experience that informs duties because I think we all start out sort of just very carefree and trying to explore life however way we explore life, right? Thinking of being children. And then we're being told through experience with our parents and then with other people that we encounter in our larger expanding social circles that, no, you can't really do this. No. I mean, even if they don't actually say no to you, the experience is of being stopped from doing something. Unrequited feelings, for instance, is in a way uh, a no from someone, even if it's not expressed expressly, I think is the word I'm looking for. Express expressly. There you go. I'm a poet. Yeah, I'm a poet. Tricky story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm alliterating. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think there's a even in uh, this sort of scenario that you just described. There's like a duality to it, which is again encapsulated well in this poem. Thank you. There's the sense of the no from another person, and yet there's like a a yes, like a it feels like such a deep sort of guttural yes in, in the sense of like the attraction that you're experiencing. Mm. It really is like a, you know, I can admit I've like been here before. I've had unrequited feelings. <laughs> I, you know, I understand there to be like a, a sort of like disconnect or like a pattern interrupt in the feeling of like a really, I don't know, sort of visceral, if you will, like attraction to another person and then being met with the no. Mm. Um, yeah, that's all very... <laughs> Very, uh, very precarious. Yeah, and that. I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, and that I see in in your line as well. You know, when you say, "In the poverty of spirit, the heart becomes another mouth to feed," and then you talk about the rolls of pearl knives gnash against my rib bones. So it becomes this little monster, right? Because it wants to be fed. It's hungry, and yeah, and and especially with unrequited love, especially with a crush on a stranger because you don't know about them because you don't really have enough opportunities or at least initially have the opportunity to know them the them that you're in love with or you you have a feelings for is actually not them but your picture of them uh, yeah it's sort of harping on that notion that there's like uh, thousands of different yous out there in the universe just based on perception yeah yeah okay so you are talking about like the the monster if you will mm -hmm. and so to to kind of like volley this back towards your poem in the early part of this poem i talked about the egos that grow which is a great image like i, I the line to the line break is actually adding a lot for me here oh, uh, the line break is that egos grow thick under and then the constant stroke of so not not just that egos grow thick under the constant stroke of admiration, mm -hmm. but also there's a there's an image that I have of like an ego with like a dense kind of underbelly. It's growing a thick under, like referring to like the under part of it has its under, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's that image kind of like evoked there. So I'm curious in the poem is the ego piece that that specific image of the ego is that reflective of you or it's something that you're observing in the stranger in this sense i don't think it's something that i'm observing in either me or the person but rather the suspicion um uh, 
because the fact that this person is well admired. So to have yet another admirer is just another ego stroke. And, and that ego's growth under is, is a, a sort of um, hint at anatomy. Because it has a similar aspect to it of how a lot of desire is in the mind. So yeah. even though in terms of uh, physical manifestations, we can, see, we can see something happening, the fact is most of it is in the mind. And if we are mentally strained for some reason, we can't actually do, well, depends on the person, but, you know, um, certain things. So did I answer your question? Maybe I forgot your question. Yeah. Yes. Okay. No, I think so. I think okay. I think maybe my reading of it was not accounting for where you might have actually been at. So I was thinking on like a much deeper level. Um, <laughs> like no. Oh, okay, let me retract. So I was thinking, and what I, what I mean by deeper is like deeper into a relationship with a person. Mm. Like further on, further on down the road, like your relationship to them, where they become sort of this center of attention that like this stage of a relationship grows the ego that and so the i in the poem is like attempting to avoid kind of even getting to that place in this sense like the guardedness is about avoiding but that was the question is it like are you identifying in yourself are you self-implicating that your ego grows from being in relationship and being admired or do you sense in yourself there's a like a propensity towards like obsession and like really just giving a lot in a you know in a relationship i guess that that was like more like i think what was i don't know maybe i was like very sleight of handedly trying to reveal <laughs> reveal through the ego question but oh. what you're saying instead it's just like the, the surface of like glimpsing another person that initial attraction is in itself even a way like giving a bit much. Yeah. This particular crush is idolizing someone. It's it, this uh, is a this is a crush on a public person. So, so it's basically, in some ways, is idol worship. So you can't. There's no real approach there. You can't really get to know the person. I mean, you can a little bit, but not to the depth of if you are to meet this person, a regular person that you could actually meet and get to know. So one of the things that I've always been wary of is to approach idols, to get too close to idols, because they invariably disappoint you. <laughs> because Again, because your perception of them starting out is of this almost perfect being, which nobody can live up to. So Yeah, that, yeah that's very true. Yeah, and, and I'm... Okay. Also thinking of the fact that this person, you know, somebody who's a public person who's used to being admired, you know, they being a person, uh, like any person, uh, they're used to ego, their egos being stroked. Um, And so I think they're, it's like if you eat a lot of hot peppers, it dulls your taste buds kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's totally what I was just going to kind of ask. Like, if if there's a sense of a dulling of the senses when there's that continual stream of admiration and sort of like the unrequited nature of this is just in the kind of like interesting dynamic of having an unrequited crush on somebody that is just kind of like you feel like you know them, but there's maybe much more to it. Yeah, it's really interesting dynamic. But it, yeah, yeah. And I think when you have something that's that obvious or, I mean, in this relationship, it's obvious because it's a crush on a public person. The likelihood of them returning your affections is very little. So I feel like we do the same thing, even with somebody we meet in just regular life. And I I think we all do this, right, on both sides or all sides, because we are all sort of our minds always are doing its duty of guarding us because of, you know, these responsibilities learned from experience of, oh, what if they do this? What if they do that? You know, and then also our interpretation of their actions. 
as well. So again, a lot of our relationships are lived inside our heads because sometimes it's not always easy to get to the bottom of exactly what the other person has in mind. Yeah. There is like a certain charm to that like element of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think there is that. And, but I also think having had the experiences I had that even if you think you know someone thoroughly, even if you've been with someone for a long time, there will still be an element of mystery because we are unknown to ourselves in some ways. And so the same thing is with the other person. So they can't reveal something to you that they don't know themselves. Or maybe you know something about them that they don't even know about themselves. And also the fact that even as we, let's say, come together as a, in a relationship, the fact is both people are still growing and they don't necessarily grow in the same way, in the same dimensions, in the same at the same rate. So there is always room for mystery. I think the mystery of falling for a stranger is overrated. But <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I, I think just reading the poem too, I get like a sense that the charm is like not enough. It's there, it's present, but it's not enough to kind of bring down the defenses of the, the poet I. Yeah, yeah. And again, that comes from our, you know, experiences, right? Because at some point in our lives, we realize we are worth more than just us doling out our feelings, even though the heart is all like, I want, I want, I want. <laughs> you know, your mind is, <laughs> yeah, but you deserve better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And in that way, like, your poem is not at all unfamiliar from my own, because I think yeah. the wrestling is sort of the same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, you know, kind of, like, presented differently, colored differently, but, yeah, that's definitely present in, in both of the works. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, and I think what it leads me to, to wonder, I guess, is where is kind of the balance? Um, I think maybe just reading the poem, there's kind of more airing on the side of caution, maybe more guardedness. Where's the balance kind of between the guarded and then like the abandoned of like, you know, does it come at a certain moment or is it prep work that you need to do before entering? I don't know. I just, we're really getting into it. So. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you know the answer though, having read your poem because it's, I mean, even in your poem, it fluctuates, as in my poem, it fluctuates, even within the poem itself. Yeah, So, True. So I think it's very, just very tenderly balanced, and it's, it's precarious, very precarious. I, I don't think it's balanced. Uh, I think it's, it's always seesawing, and this particular poem, it might seem uh, more on the side of caution, on the side of rationalizations, more of the mind. I mean, if I had sent you the other poem I was thinking about sending you, I think you will come to a completely different conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's just the beauty of like having a body of work. You know, you're saying this poem belongs to a series of poems. Way, like, yeah, way too story, many, like, yeah. way too many. <laughs> Some will say not enough. They'll be like, oh, come on, what do you say? <laughs> they they want to know who the object of your desire is. <laughs> I love I love that about this. Is like, it is just kind of forthcoming with enough of the the details to like really grip people, but it's it's still withholding. Yeah, so it's well done. I I'm excited to read the rest of the series whenever you decide to <laughs> kind of unleash <laughs> unleash that on the world. <laughs> I've been trying to. I think the good people of the universe has been trying to stop it. It's like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Would you stop? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, nah, it's just, you know, it's, it's all audience. So I, I don't know how people aren't totally wrapped up in, like, having this kind of concern in their day-to-day -day life. I feel like I'm constantly falling in love with strangers and just, like, am noticing the beauty in people all the time. So... Mm. This poem resonates with me, yeah, immensely. So mm. it's all just a matter of where people are at. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. Because I mean, there is definitely a market for these these kinds of poems, right? From both of us, certainly for your poem, it's just beautiful. It's just you can just read it and just be like, oh, I see this picture and it's gorgeous. And then the feelings underneath it, I think everybody can relate to it because, I mean, who hasn't felt this strongly for someone? Whether or not they should feel that for them, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> not always clear. What they should. At least not at any kind of like pivotal. You know, the hindsight usually reveals like how you should have felt, but in the moment, it's you know when you could actually use the information on whether or not it's worth pursuit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It never works out like that. It it really is like a lashing experience, like portray it in the work. You do have to kind of take the lashes sometimes to just really know what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Because at the moment, I mean, the thing is, I think we do have the same information. It's、mm-hmm. the fact that because our heart is all like in this obsession mode, in its gnashing of the teeth, in its hunger and yearning、uh, for what it wants. It's really difficult for the heart to hear the mind out, hear all these evidence of why you should not. You really, really should not. <laughs> But later on, as our heart calms down for whatever reason,、uh, maybe because we've been hurt by, you know, trying to get close by, you know, trying so hard, then we have the capacity. To hear the mind saying, "Well, this is this is the exact same evidence I was presenting to you before. Now you can actually see it. Now you can actually pay attention to it." I think it's more that than the information is not there. I think it's always there. I just don't think we pay attention to it when we're in the the heart of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a. I mean, this you know this this podcast is so dynamic. <laughs> we're talking, talking about poetry, talking about relationships, kind of it kind of falls into the self help category too. I think you made something very unique and syncretic here. Part of why we write poetry is to try to figure out how we feel about something, right? Because it's not always clear when you're just turning something within your mind, but then when you put it on the page, sometimes you go back to it, you're like. Oh, this is how I felt about that. Just like you were talking、yeah. about your poem. Now that you're eighteen months removed from it, you're like, huh? Okay. Yeah. You are right. Well, <laughs> do you have any kind of like? Would you like to like approach the stand for one final time for this poem? Was there anything that I'm overlooking or anything that you'd like to mention? I think. The conversation has been very fruitful, and I really appreciate the questions because they it really they really tease out a lot of it. I would love for you to tell us a whether or not you are you have any favorite places virtually right now that you go to regularly to read that you would recommend, and b how do people follow you? How can people follow you online? Advocating for this, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'll catch any flag for it, but my favorite coffee shop in Flagstaff, Stronghold Coffee, does window service and then has like outdoor, physically distant seating.、Mm-hmm. So they're only open on the weekends, also. So、mm. I spend time there on my weekends, just enjoying a, a nice, sweet and spicy chai sometimes,、mm. having a little bit of breakfast, and then. Reading in their outdoor seating, just kind of enjoying the breeze and the sunshine.、Um, aside from there, have a nice spot in my backyard too. So I think sunshine is what I'm essentially saying is essential as far as the, the spots where I'm reading goes. The, the sunshine helps a lot. Right. right.、Um, and then as far as following me goes, I am mainly. Well, I would say I'm most. Most likely to be found on Instagram.、Mm-hmm. That's probably not quite what I meant to say, but 
I'm most active there. I'm most active on Instagram. Okay. My my handle is who underscore is underscore Iwa. That's I I W A A. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the best way probably to keep up to date on all my artistic endeavors and what's coming next for me. Cool. And then you can use the same handle to find me on Twitter. Oh, nice. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, lastly, since this is part of your new collection, do you have any idea yet when it's coming out? Oh, gosh, no. Um, I, I think I'd like to kind of mold it first into like a chapbook moment. Mm. Um, really condense it down and just, I feel like the work is, has like a certain potency to it. So mm. I want to really condense it down and just make it really a hard-hitting kind of chapbook moment and see if I can get that out there somewhere. But yeah, I'm just kind of like perusing publishers and things like that um, to kind of get a feel for where it might land best. Right. No, no set date, but I am. It's in the works. It's you know, it's it's on the way there. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, and thank you for sharing uh, so candidly and openly about um, your work as well. It's been a real joy. Yeah, it has. Thank you. As always, you can find us on poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.